This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of August 15th, 2022, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Let me quickly take you back to the early 1970s. Gwendolyn Rogers was six years old, and her father took her to Walt Disney World in its first year of operation. The Magic Kingdom, an idealized world of enchantment and family entertainment, made a massive impression. It's not a stretch to say Rogers borrowed some of that pixie dust when, in 2014, she opened the Cake Bake Shop in Broderpool, also with the help of a $325,000 small business loan. She transformed a freestanding home on the north side of Broderpool Village into a kind of confectioner's paradise, populated with sparkling accents and a cozy but high-end aesthetic. It had regular table service, topped off with towering and indulgent cakes, including the deluxe chocolate cake she used to win the London Cake and Bake Show in 2013. It's no small achievement that Rogers correctly predicted that Hoosiers would pay a pretty penny for high-end baked goods in an environment right out of Cinderella. In 2019, she opened a second cake bake shop in Carmel with the help of a $1.2 million loan. And in April of this year, she announced that a long-time dream of hers had come true. The Walt Disney World Resort announced that a cake bake shop would open next year at Disney's Boardwalk. Rogers isn't at liberty yet to the to discuss, to talk about the fine details, but there's a lot more to the cake bake story than the new location. Rogers has put a lot on the line over the last eight years to establish and grow the brand, including a hefty financial commitment. She was saved during the pandemic by a relationship with William Sonoma that made her case available on the high-end retailer's website. In eight years, she has gone from a single employee to nearly 190 But as we discuss in this week's edition of the podcast, she dreamed of opening in Disney World even before launching the Broderpool location. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Gwendolyn Rogers, owner of The Cake Bake Shop. Gwendolyn, thank you for making time today. Thank you so much for having me, Mason. It's nice to be here. We were talking just before we started about where you are. So you popped up on my screen. It's a Zoom interview. And I saw a big warehouse in back of you. And I thought, well, that's just kind of a funny backdrop. You literally are in a warehouse right now. I literally am. Isn't it? Isn't it like romantic and beautiful? It's what everybody dream of. <laughs> that's right. I was thinking, you know, oh, well, you know, it's I'll, I'll be talking to her in the kitchen and there'll be, you know, implements and sugar everywhere. And, and th- this is like the guts of a warehouse. It is. I mean, and this is, I don't know, this is my favorite place to be. I love my warehouse. It's, there's a lot of activity here. There's, I've got a great team that's here and we've got a creative department that works out of here. And we have an office space as well that, that has about um, 15 people that work there, but the phones are ringing all the time and it's kind of chaotic and it's super busy. So this is a nice kind of quiet place to be. And, you know, we have dock doors that we can, it's, you can feel like you're outside. So when the weather's nice, it's, it's a good spot to be. I always know when the Amazon guy's coming. So it's kind of cool. <laughs> and I mean, this is, this, I'm just guessing here. This is like a 28 foot warehouse, ceiling warehouse. I mean, there are boxes to the top. What kinds of stuff is in back yeah. there? 
Um, well, I have a lot of racking, that's for sure. Um, I have cake by the slice boxes. I have cookie bags. I have muffin bags. I have uh, large cake boxes, large cake bags. We have lots of ribbon. We have balloons. We have um, all of my holiday decor is here as well. So when, when I switch the seasons over, um, this is where I build everything. So about three months before we do the install, I'll be in the warehouse building garlands and wreaths and flower arrangements and things like that. So this is where everything's stored. So when we take it down, we bring it in here, then um, we've got a team that organizes it and kind of puts it all back where it's supposed to go. And then we pull it back out when the season's right. It's a lot of rotation. I'm reminded of the story of, of when you first opened the cake bake shop. Tell me if this is right. I mean, you, you spoke about Christmas decorations. You were like raiding your closets for Christmas decorations to put in the first incarnation of the cake bake shop. This is eight years ago. I mean, you were just oh, scraping yeah. around for anything. Oh, that's an understatement of rating. I mean, I I felt for my kids that year because um, I just took all of our own Christmas things and I put them in the Broad Ripple shop. So we didn't really have Christmas at home. So our Christmas tree was in Broad Ripple. All of their teddy bears, I took all the teddy bears that they've been collecting and I put them in the shop. And I don't know, it was just, I felt like it needed it needed some sort of festive feeling. And, you know, when you, uh, Christmas is so great anyway. Um, it's one of my favorite holidays, but um, there's something very warm and tingly and magical about the holidays. And it's the twinkle lights. It's the smell of the Christmas tree. It's all those things that make you feel, it's almost like a feeling that you wish you could have with you 365 days a year where it makes you feel warm and welcome and, and cozy. And you feel like your family's around you. And to me, that's the, if you can create that feeling in a, in a space where you have the public coming into. And if you can create that feeling with even just one guest that comes through your door, I was like, God, this is the best job ever. And from that, I got, you know, once we, I, I took all of my own personal things and put it in there and I had my, the pillows off of my couch that we would put on the banquettes and um, all of my pots and pans came out of my own kitchen, you know, and I didn't have any money. When I started, I, I had like a dollar. I literally had, I didn't have any money to start this business. So I just kind of did what I needed to do to, to make it as cozy and homey as possible. And it, it just turned into something spectacular. And then, I don't know, it just kind of evolved. So over time, it now is what it is. And it's just fantastic. I love my job. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of amazing that this is just eight years later. If you'd said to yourself, well, eight years from now, this is what we're going to have. And it, is, it includes right. a huge warehouse stacked to the brim with stuff that you need. That's true. Well, and I, my warehouse story, I love the most because, um, you know, obviously when I first started, everything was in my own house and it was in my garage. And then I got one storage unit at Nora behind Target. Um, and then I outgrew that storage unit. So I had to get another one. And it ended up, I had 12 storage units throughout the infinite storage place in, behind Target that they were all over the place. So it wasn't like they were all next to each other. One was like in building F, one was in building G and, and I had to make a map and go, okay, well, all my hot and cold cups and lids are in this storage unit. Um, and then I had, you know, cake platters and glass domes and another one. And then winter would come and the, the doors would freeze shut and I would have to kick the doors <laughs> open to get them. And I had shovels in the back of my suburban so that I could get into my storage units. So the fact I have a warehouse now is it's like a palace. Literally. I love it. This is my favorite. Place. <laughs> this is very great. My warehouse. <laughs> I did want to, to talk about the latest news first, although I know that there are a lot of details that you can't discuss yet. 
but uh, you announced in April that a cake bake shop location will open on the boardwalk at the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida. What at this point can we say about what you will offer at that location? What will it be like when I walk in, just like Broder Bull or something else? Well, I, I kind of would like to leave a little bit of that as a surprise, but I mean, it, it will be very similar. I'm not reinventing the wheel by any means when it comes to my brand and what we offer. We are going to do, um, we, when we do this now, but we're going to have um, an afternoon tea service there, which I think will be a great um, offering for the Disney guests. Um, but our menu, you know, it'll be, you know, I'll have, I'll have, I am going to have my cakes because I can't go anywhere without my cakes and my pies and my cookies and all that. So um, I think the, the most fun part for me is designing the space and recreating something that is very familiar, but yet will be something new and different to a lot of people who don't know who we are. This might be heresy, but I have not been to Walt Disney World. What is the boardwalk? How does this, how, how does Cape Big Shop fit into the aesthetic of the boardwalk? Well, how exciting for you, because now you have a reason to go because, well, I mean, Walt Disney World alone is fantastic. There's so much entertainment and so many fun things to do and great places to eat. And it's just constant fun. And any, you, you turn a corner and there's music playing and you turn another corner and there's fireworks going off and you turn another corner and there's, there is someone, you know, there's a performer, you know, doing something amazing. The boardwalk is, it kind of goes back in time and it, it creates that old fashioned feeling of what it would be like to be on a boardwalk um, back in the day. And I think Cake Bake fits into that atmosphere so perfectly and so beautifully. And it's so meant to be because my design and my aesthetic and everything that I'm all about from the outdoor lights to the colors, to the windows, to everything is going to be such a beautiful blend with the boardwalk and such a compliment that I could not have dreamt up a better spot. How far back does your connection to Disney go? <laughs> well, when I was six, cause I'm going to be 57. So 50 years ago, my father took me to Walt Disney world when I was six years old and it was the first year that they'd opened. So when I turned last year, when I turned 56, I was fortunate enough to go to the 50th anniversary um, event that they had at Walt Disney world. So my connection goes from the day they opened. So, you know, I mean, I'm lucky to be old enough that I went the first year they opened with my, with my father and, and it, you know, so I think my connection is pretty deep, pretty great. Like I've had it with me since I was a little kid and I love it and I will always love it. I will always be a Disney fan because of the feeling that I get when I'm there, when I'm with my family. You know, it's wonderful. You told IBJ a few months ago that opening a shop at Walt Disney World was actually a goal of yours before you opened the cake bake shop in, in Broderpool. So that, <laughs> how did that happen? That's true. I don't know. I can't explain that. I don't, it, it's something that I've, I don't know if it's intuition or, or it's crazy. I mean, it's kind of crazy. I, I mean, I used to have people go, you're nuts because there's no way. How are you ever going to open in Walt Disney? I was like, I don't know, but I'm going to make it happen. It was a goal that I had. And it was something that I always wanted to do. And the fact that it's actually coming true is really a dream. 
it's a, it, it makes me feel like that's my purpose. I mean, I first thought my purpose was to have these three beautiful sons that I have. And it's like, well, that, that was it, you know, that really is my main purpose. But then after that, you know, as a, as a, you know, middle-aged woman, maybe my purpose was really to open in Walt Disney so that I could bring this experience to millions of people because it makes, even if I make one little person happy, then that's all, then my job is complete. How did the the connection to Disney happen? Did you contact them? Did they contact you? Uh, Well, it's such a strange story, to be honest, because, you know, when you're, my life had a very distinct path and at least you think you do, you know, you're like, okay, this is how my life's going to be. And this is where I'm going to go. And this is what I'm going to do with it. And it didn't work out that way. And I got thrown a huge curveball. And at the time I thought, well, this is, you know, ain't, well, I, don't, I would never say it's not fair because life is never fair, but you just got to kind of readjust and figure out how you're going to, what are you going to do now? Right. So with that, I am so grateful that all those things happened in my life. And I mean, I can go into details if you'd like, but, you know, I was going to live in Sun Valley, Idaho for the rest of my life. And my husband and I, you know, built a house there and, so it's great because I learned, I look back now and, and I learned how to build something. And if I never had that experience, I would never have been able to build Broad Ripple and I couldn't have built Carmel and I couldn't have built this Disney project. And so knowing all the things that I learned along the way that at the time, maybe I didn't really realize were so important, um, have really benefited me just in the in knowledge. And if I didn't know how to do something, I would teach myself how to do it and I would figure it out. Like I've never, I didn't go to pastry school. I never was professionally trained. Um, if I wanted to learn how to make something, I would just teach myself how to do it. And I would do it until I got it right. So the Disney connection really occurred because I built that house and then we couldn't afford to live in it anymore and we were going to lose our house. So I had to move out of it so that I could rent it so that we could pay the mortgage. Well, to do that, I had to live with my mother-in-law who I adore but that was a very difficult time in my life because I had three little children. I had two dogs and a cat and I lived with my mother-in-law for months and we moved here to Indian Indianapolis so that we could rent our house out. And I was, that was my job. My job was to make sure we didn't lose our house. So I was constantly putting it on rental companies, and, you know, VRBO and, you know, Inspirado and all these companies that, that rented homes and this one woman um, leased it for the summer. And that woman, uh, we became friends over the last you know, years after that, but she ended up building a home in Florida. And she loved the house that I built so much. So she said, you know, where'd you get your lights? Where'd you get your sink? Where'd you buy all your, you know, where'd the floors come from? And we became friends after that. And she ended up building a home in, in Walt Disney World. And she was very good friends with um, one of the ex-vice presidents or, of Walt Disney Company. And so I sent her a cake and, it, you know, I'd already been, you know, starting up my cake bake and I was working out of my house for eight years. And, you know, I, I built up at least a little bit of a base where I knew people liked what I was doing and I didn't want to borrow money if if it wasn't going to work. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, how, how much failure are you willing to take on kind of thing. But I ended up sending her a cake and um, he really enjoyed it. So he, I told him, you know, what my goals were and 
how I really at some point one day would want to be in Walt Disney World with a restaurant. And um, he set me up with meeting. And that was eight years ago. I have been working on this Disney project for eight years. So I know it seems like it's an overnight thing, but it, it was not overnight. And it was something that I stayed on top of every week, thought about it every single day. Every day I took a shower. I was like, maybe today's a day. Maybe somebody's going to call me today. Maybe today's, you know, and I, I just never gave up. And I think that there's something to be said for tenacity and really following your dream and, and making your dreams happen because it doesn't, it's never going to come to you. No one's ever going to give it to you. You have to, you have to work for it and oh, never give up. You also have a partnership with William Sonoma. Can you I do. describe what that is? That's a good story too. Um, how that, how that happened. Um, it's great. I, I've got 37 items on their, on their website and you can, when you, when you look for cakes on William Sonoma, almost every single cake I make and some I don't that are off season, um, will come up and you can order it through there. And it comes, the order comes straight to our office, um, in the office that's right next to the bakery in Carmel. We take the orders there and we make the cake in Carmel and then we freeze it and then we ship it within that time frame that they want the cake to be shipped. Um, and we ship all the cakes um, out of our warehouse. We've got, you know, big industrial freezers and we've got a huge shipping station and, and we pack them all by hand and we ship them out and they look just like they, they do when you order it here at the bakery. So it's kind of amazing. So you told IBJ a couple of months ago that with your volume of orders through Williams-Sonoma, you're filling multiple UPS trucks per day. Oh, uh, we just did two pallets of um, cakes that <laughs> UPS just picked <laughs> up. So uh, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, can you give us like a sense of how many how many cakes per day or whatever, whatever the measure is? On, on shipping? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say we probably shipped, there's probably 25, 30 cakes per pallet. So we probably shipped 60 cakes today. Just today? So that, and that's pretty normal. Yeah, holidays it's insane. Holidays are crazy. We do hundreds of cakes uh, a day during the holidays and pies. So, yeah, it's fantastic. And that's what got me through COVID. I mean, when we had to shut down, and we, you know, I was making cakes and pies in my production kitchen every single day just so I could ship them out. Now, I'd assume that one of the benefits also of having a shop. At Walt Disney World is that it exposes people from all over the country to the cake bake shop and they could become future customers through online ordering or through Williamson. That is very true. Very excited about that. So I better keep doing a really good job at my job because <laughs> I don't have a lot of people we need to make happy. <laughs> okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and our conversation with Gwendolyn Rogers, founder of The Cake Bake Shop. So between uh, the two locations you currently have, and I guess also the warehouse, how many employees do you have now? Oh, I have 189 employees now. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> it's wonderful. The, the, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so proud that as an independent, like, you know, not to drop this one, but, you know, as an independent woman business owner, I started with myself and I had one employee, then I got up to eight employees. And, and to be able to offer that many opportunities to that many people is pretty spectacular. You know, I mean, we have a great, you know, medical program as well. Everybody gets great benefits. We've got um, you know, I try to do as much as I possibly can for everyone that works um, with me because this is any job that you can ever do by yourself. I mean, without this incredible team that I have, none of this would ever happen, you know, from all the leaders that, that we have to, you know, we have so many sectors from the, you know, the retail department to the shipping department to the bakery uh, department to the, you know, the restaurant departments. So we've got a lot of of different areas. I and mean, there's a lot of oversight that has to happen with that many employees and that many different um, departments, but it is, it, it really is incredible. I mean, I don't, I can't tell you when, that when I'm gone or I can, I have to tell you when I am, when I'm not here for whatever reason, if I'm in Florida, or if I'm traveling for business, I miss the people that I work with. I truly love my team. How many of those employees are involved in baking? Well, each restaurant bakes their own Everything is baked separately. So anything that's baked in um, that's for brother bowls baked in brother bowl. Anything that's for caramels baked in caramel. Uh, all the things that we ship is baked in caramel. Um, we probably have fifty people in the bakery department. So I grew up in Indianapolis. I've lived here also for a good chunk of my adult life. And if you told me eight years ago that there would be a successful shop in brother bowl that sold cakes at 15 to $17 per slice, or that sold whole cakes of 105 to $300, I would have said you were crazy. Indianapolis is a sheet cake town. Why did you think people would accept such a high-end product? Well, you're not the first person to tell me that, by the way. Um, I have had nothing but that response. So when I was putting together my business plan, um, I knew I had to create something that was going to be different than what everybody else was doing. And I went to every single bakery, not only in the state of Indiana, but surrounding me all over the place. I would get in my car and I would just drive to places and and kind of see what how did they display their product? How did they, where was their product made? What kind of ingredients were they using? Um, and, and looking at the price points of what they were offering. And there was not one place that I went to that blew my socks off. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to build something that's going to blow people's socks off. I'm going to do something that uh, to create a place that I wanted to go to. Where would I want to go and sit and have a cup of coffee that I can't just get anywhere? I use Italy coffee. I use, I bring it in from Italy. It's just the best coffee I've ever had. That's what I serve. Um, when it comes to tea, I bring in tea from France because the Damien Frere is amazing. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. If I'm, an, I'm such a big food fan that I know life is very short and I only want to eat delicious things that are made with amazing ingredients. So I still to this day, and I never will change, I bring in all my chocolate from France. The other half of my chocolate comes in from Belgium. All of my flour comes from Vermont still to this day. All of my sugar comes from like the best sugar refinery um, companies. I've got, I go through thousands of eggs every single day. I use very high quality ingredients and everything is made by hand. Every single cake we make has been mixed by hand. 
panned, like scooped. We weigh every single batter into every single pan. We bake them. We depan them by hand. They're all hand frosted. It's hard to find a place like that. You know, there's not one thing that we use that comes out of a bucket. Not one. So not one frosting. And that is what, sorry, <laughs> that is what makes it to me, it's worth, it's worth it. Because if you're going to eat something, you, you might as well eat something that's going to be amazing, and really, really good. And that you're going to want to go, you know what, I want to eat that again. And if it's just something you could get anywhere for $6.99, I don't think I'm necessarily going to really want to go eat it again. So I'm sure some people think, well, you're just soaking them under the guise of offering a top of the line upscale experience. So what, what kind of profit margin do you have on the cakes? Or is that like a loss leader? Well, it depends on the cake, but it's not a lot. I mean, I know it, it sounds like, oh, you got to be just rolling in it. Not, I'm honestly, I'm not, not at all, because every every penny we make goes right back into the business, or it goes back to pay employees, because it's not. I mean, obviously, we I have to, I've got a lot of overhead, right? I've got to pay rent. I've got to pay. Um, I've got the warehouse I have to pay for. I have you know packaging that we have to pay for. I have employees. I have medical, dental. I mean, we've got a lot that goes out the door. So anything else that's left over goes, it literally goes right back into the business and it's to fix things. So, you know, I'm constantly having the, the refrigerator break. Like we just got a compressor today. Uh, the handles on the bathroom doors are broken. The, you know, there's a, a table, the glass shatters on the tables, So we've got to get glass replaced and it's always something. So there's constant repair and constant upkeep, like the marble in our bar and caramel just fell apart. So that now needs to be fixed. I mean, there's, there's always something. So any money that we make that's extra, we need that to put right back into it. You know, there's a van, the van will break down. I mean, it's, it's always something. Have your ingredient prices gone up in the last seven months uh, with, with everything else, it seems that we would find in a grocery store? Oh, or absolutely. Oh, hundred percent. Absolutely. Everything's gone up. And, and we're having, well, we have a hard time getting um, product as well. I mean, we have crab cakes on our menu and it's very difficult to get the crab that we use because we use, you know, big lump blue crab and that's very difficult to get. Um, unlike maybe decisions that other people would make. So if I refuse to put something on my menu by using a substitute that is of lesser quality um, in our food. So if for some reason we don't have a certain cake or we don't have a certain savory item on our menu, it's because we couldn't get it. And so instead of subbing it for something less expensive or something that maybe is kind of the same, but not, I can't do that because I've already got a, a, a brand standard that I need to hold up to. And if you come in one day and you have my crab cake and you think it's amazing, and then you come back to get that crab cake and it tastes totally different, um, I've lost you as a guest. You'll never come back. And so it's extremely important to me to make sure every single time you come in, you have, you have the best experience possible. So all the issues that are happening in the world today have 100% absolutely affected everybody. And I'm not, I'm not any different. You know, it's affected us as well. So the Carmel Cake Bake Shop opened, was it July of 2019? Uh, yeah, it's been three years. Years, okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you share how much you invested in opening that shop? Uh, financially? Yeah. Um, well, because, you know, when I started with Broad Ripple, I had to borrow $100 from my son to open up a checking account because, you know, when you're babies, you save money. Every time I get like a rebate check from the insurance company, when I took him to the dentist for like $32, I would put it in his account. Um, so I borrowed $100 from Baxter when I first opened um, my first account for 
for Broad Ripple. And I got a loan for like $237,000. And then when, of course, nobody would give me a loan, that was a whole other story. Like I was the lady from um, Pretty Woman, <laughs> nobody would give me. And then I go back and I'm like, ha, thank God it worked out. I'm really glad. <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> um, but anyway, so with Carmel, I had to take another loan out as well. So it's a lot. I don't know if you really want the number, but I'm still paying that loan off. I think I've got another eight years, 10 years before I have that paid off. And so, yeah, you're giving, you're making, you're making me have a hot flash. when I start thinking about it. It's, it's a lot. I owe a lot of money. Um, (laughs) But with that said, I am still independently owned. I don't have any investors. I don't have anybody I have to answer to. I can make my own decisions and I can run my business as I choose and there's something very freeing about that. And I would so much rather owe the bank a ton of money than have to answer to someone who A, doesn't know me, doesn't know anything about my business, doesn't, you know, it's so, that's like, I, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Um, I have a um, VP of operations. Her name's Angie Daniel, and she um, helps me run the business. She's the opposite of me, which is fantastic. Um, she's smart. She does numbers. She does all that. So together between her and I, and obviously the rest of the team, we just try to keep it all together, you know, and, and, and just stay open and keep doing a good job at our job and, you know, keep everybody, all the, all the team happy. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot to do, but God, it's quite the amazing job. So yeah, it's fun to owe that kind of money, but sorry not to like go all over the place. <laughs> I go down a rabbit hole sometimes. Oh, um, yeah, it's, it's all good. I'm just grateful that I had a bank that was willing to loan me the money. I mean, that was the, you know, the second time around, I actually got to pick my bank, which was kind of outstanding. And I think I left that, that, that bank meeting when I got the loan for Carmel. I'm not a big crier, but uh, I definitely got teary as I was walking out of that bank door and going to my car thinking that was incredible. I didn't have to beg and, and you know, sell myself where I, you know, to convince someone that I was capable of opening a restaurant. Yeah. So that was kind of great. So for your broader poll, uh, so you had a, was it a small business administration back loan? From first um, on my first one, it had to be SBA because uh, no bank was uh, confident enough to give me a loan without having the government involved. Um, so yes, it was an SBA loan. And I'll, I'll be totally honest, my second one was an SBA loan, SBA loan as well. Um, it got divided up into two different parts because I had to borrow a lot of money for Carmel. So part of it was an SBA loan and the other was um, a bank loan. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So uh, I'll just ask you one more time, just ballpark, how much, how much did you have to put into Carmel to open it? Oh God, 800,000. So let's say my, yeah, it's maybe a million, million two, a lot. I think I'm at 800 now. I think I've paid it down to 800. I think it was like a million two. Um, but let's just say my house is leveraged. My Suburban's leveraged. My kids, uh, my life insurance is leveraged. Um, I am so leveraged that like when you say how much money are you making, it makes me laugh because I'm not, because everything that we make goes to the bank and everything else. So I, and I won't have this loan paid off until I think I've got eight to 10 years left. Yeah. You know? the, so the two of those loans. Um, actually, no, I actually ended up paying off my first loan 
uh, on year five of Broad Ripple. Oh, so okay. I don't owe that one anymore. So that that was why I got the second loan for Carmel because I was debt free. I didn't owe anybody any money, but um, I do now. And then with Disney, of course, um, I will never live long enough to to see that all paid off. Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. So you also you also have are you in the process of getting one for Disney. I am yes. So my goal is just is to continue to stay um, independent. Right. Um, that is very very difficult. I think I have heartburn almost every single day and my hair is turning gray really fast. My husband works like crazy. So thank God, like, you know, he's, he's our bread and butter, which is great. Mm. And, he's still, and he's still in, uh, in the, I, I was going to say show business. I guess that's literally true, but he, he's a, a first assistant director on, on different projects. Yes, he is. Yeah. That sounds like a great job. Yeah. He loves it. He, um, during COVID, you know, he was home for a year and he, as much as he loved being home, he loves to work. I think that's when my husband and I are, are a great team as well, because we both have the same work ethic and um, I love to work too. So we're, um, he gets bored very easily and, and so do I. So I think that um, as much as being home is great, I, I'm always like, okay, I got to go, I, I got to go back to work. So love you guys, got to go. And he's the same. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's check back. I don't know when the appropriate time will be, but let's check back uh, when we have more to say about uh, about Disney. That sounds like it's going to be a great project. Yeah. Yes, I'm very excited about it. My thanks again to Gwendolyn Rogers. And I have a quick addendum for the numbers you heard just a few minutes ago. As we noted at the beginning of the podcast... Gwendolyn actually received a $325,000 SBA loan for the Broderpool location, not $237,000. The loan for the Carmel location was $1.2 million on the high end of what she estimated, and she already has paid the principal down to $600,000. Now, folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories from the latest issue of IBJ I want to draw to your attention. First up, eight years after the Ballard administration prepared to completely rebuild the streets of Monument Circle, work that never commenced, Mayor Joe Hogsett's team is dusting off the plans and strategizing how to turn the project into reality. IBJ's Mickey Shuey discusses the potential roadblocks. Also in this week's issue, Daniel Bradley shines a light on the new Motor District Garage Condos, which you could describe as high-end man caves, where car collectors can store and commune with their vehicles. And Susan Orr reports that banks in Indiana have begun bulking up their loan reserves as a precaution against a potential recession. And again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. I will say, it's easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on Central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And here's a new development. We have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business. It now works out to about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. 
And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.